Whether in the media, our government, or our schools, Christianity faces tremendous intellectual persecution. This program stands on the intellectual front lines. With disarming honesty, we engage the most difficult issues facing Christians today. I want to welcome you to Theology Unplugged, the radio outreach of Credo House Ministries in Edmond, Oklahoma. We sit down over lattes at the Credo House coffee shop and just talk theology. I'm Michael Patton, president of Credo House Ministries. I'll be leading the discussion along with Tim Kimberly, director of ministries for Frontline Church Edmond, Sam Storms, lead pastor of Bridgeway Church, and finally J.J. Side, pastor of community and discipleship at Bridgeway Church. Welcome to Theology Unplugged. It's great to be here once again with all of you. I'm here with Sam Storms from Bridgeway Church here in the OKC Metroplex, here with Michael Patton, who is the founder and the president of the Credo House in Edmond, Oklahoma. If you have never been there, shame on you. You must get there and get a Luther latte. They are out of this world. And I'm Tim. I'm a pastor at Frontline Church, and we are talking once again about problem passages in the Bible. By the way, before you go any further, Tim. Yes, hit me. Let's touch on important things. Okay. We're all sitting here drinking the superb Mm. coffee that is produced at the the Credo House. Most people, they don't don't know that. They don't know this is the best coffee in the city. It's it's amazing. I am a coffee snob, and it is surprisingly, it's in the top of all coffee houses in Oklahoma City for sure. Uh, So we're in James chapter 2, and James, the book of James as a whole, definitely throughout church history has been, uh, I wouldn't say problematic, but it's been a, a, a book that really seems to bring a lot of emotion out of people. A right straw-y book. Yeah, people will either hate it or they'll love it. Uh, Martin Luther hated it, for instance. Uh, Other people love it. And so uh, when we look at the book of James, though, and especially now that we're going into chapter 2— How can you hate a book of the Bible? Well, we'll have to ask Martin Luther that one day. <laughs> By saying that it's not a book of the Bible. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't be in there. It's wasting space. Um, but starting in verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And then going on throughout these verses. But the idea being, I hear a lot that, that uh, in, let's say, John three sixteen that that. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He doesn't say believe in him and then act in a way that you really, really, but that verse just whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so if I just take that one verse out of context, okay, so I'm, I'm granting you that I'm taking that verse out of context, and I'm just holding on to that one verse, and then I read James, and it says that I need works that are a part of my faith, it starts making me scratch my head. Like, which one is it? Is it faith or works? And how do I navigate this? Yeah, and just the, let me just throw a, a bigger problem here. Is people read James 2 and they say, is this not in flat contradiction to what Paul says in Romans? And almost thinking Paul and James must have hated each other. Yeah, I mean, Romans chapter uh, 3, verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. And then again, Down in verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And then you come down to the James 2, 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So, well, we hold to, we hold to as Protestants, um, one of the fundamental beliefs that we have uh, as, as the Protestant movement uh, recovered the purity of the gospel is this idea of justification by faith alone. You see, at this time, there had been 
long periods of time to where so much baggage mm-hmm. began to be included upon our faith and, and upon what Christ did for us. Uh, whether it be we have to be baptized in order to be saved. We believe, have faith, and get baptized. Or you believe, have faith, and go to church and go to the Mass, take the body and blood of Christ through the sacrament of uh, communion. Uh, Also go to confession later on, we say. Whenever you commit a really bad sin, you have got to go to a priest who will uh, absolve you of the sin through the power of the Lord and uh, and hold the grace of God and, and distribute that. And so by this time of the Reformation, there was so much baggage. I mean, Christ was still there. Faith was still there. Our repentance was still there. But there was things, so many things that people had to do as well in order to be justified. And one of the great calling cards of the Reformation was we are justified only by faith, by faith alone. Works are not part of our justification and, and and the famous saying today uh, that that people are mentioning is kind of this formula that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, mm. and so it's like what okay what do I need to do to be saved? And I think if, if you're a good Protestant, what must if someone says what must I do to be saved? If God just gave you that softball, someone comes up and you're getting ready to hit a home run with that softball, what must I do to be saved? You'd say believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, and you'll be saved. But are we are we wrong? Uh, do we need to allow our theology to be corrected by James chapter 2 when someone says, Sam, when someone says, what must I do to be saved with James chapter 2 in your head, then what would you say? Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me, let me add <laughs> one more thing. I am so sorry. I'm always interrupting you. <laughs> no, stuff. I, thank you. I, I didn't want to answer that anyway. <laughs> but we, uh, the, this uh, justification by faith alone was one of the five solas we call of the Reformation. Sola, Sola fide. fide. Justification by faith alone. Justification by faith alone. We say it all the time. But the only time in the Bible that it is stated explicitly, faith alone, is here in James chapter 2, verse 24, where he says, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. So, I mean, from the perspective of somebody else that doesn't agree with this, it's so easy to understand why they might reject the doctrine of faith alone because it seems to be so explicit here. Yeah, in fact, um, there was an interesting little dispute at the time of the Reformation. Martin Luther, in his translation of Romans, uh, actually inserted into the text the word sola in verse 28. So, for we hold that one is justified by faith, and then Luther, in, Luther inserted the word sola alone. <laughs> And uh, he was criticized for that. And he said, look, he said, I realize it's not in the original text, but the original text, but what is there requires it because the next phrase is apart from works of the law. Mm -hmm. Well, if we're justified by faith and it doesn't involve obedience to the law, then obviously we're justified by faith alone. So he said, I'm justified. I'm warranted in inserting that word, even though it's not in the original text. Antagonists would come up and bring this up all the time. There is a fundamental contradiction between the theology of Paul and the theology of James. And then many people would then therefore say you can't trust the Bible That's right. because it's not one coherent message. That's right. So let me, uh, let me kind of give you a mental picture here of what I think is happening in James that will help us. As you just said, Michael, people envision James standing here and he's fa- standing face to face, toe to toe with Paul, contradicting what the apostle said. 
I would like to suggest that we envision them not as standing face to face and addressing the same issue, but as standing back to back and addressing different enemies, different mm-hmm. um, protests. So in other words, Paul is addressing those who want to add works to salvation. He's addressing legalists. And he says, no, no, no. To be declared righteous and accepted in God's sight comes solely by trusting in the all-sufficiency of the death resurrection of Jesus Christ. James isn't addressing the same enemies. He's got his back to Paul, and he's talking to individuals who basically say, oh, well, once we are justified by faith alone, we can live any way we please. In other words, James is addressing those given to licentiousness. So if, if you're in a debate, for example, there are three of us around this table. If uh, the person to my left, who is Tim, is a legalist, I'm going to address him in entirely different categories and terms from how I'm going to address Michael, who's given to license. Tim says, uh, I have to do good things to be accepted by God. I think that's Michael's, a pretty good analogy. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It applies. Michael says, no, I don't have to do any good things at all. I'm accepted by God. I can live any way I please. Law, works, obedience, holiness has no relevance for me. Well, you guys are on, on two different planets. And therefore, I'm going to address you in two entirely different ways. And I think that's what's happening. James and Paul are addressing different enemies of the gospel who are coming at this issue with uh, totally contrary arguments. You know, whenever I look at this, one of the things that stands out to me that uh, can slip by really easily, but whenever I'm looking at James and seeing what James has here and the polemic, the, the battle that he has, like you said, he has a certain type of audience and he's addressing them, but he doesn't open it up like we do on the program here. We try to get everything clear, what is real clear that we're dealing with, what one side says, what the other side says, give background, on and on we go. But he just jumps right into it with the assumption that whenever he's talking to his audience in a pastoral, polemic way, that they understand exactly what he's talking about. And so whenever he does use these words, it's very ironic to me that he uses the word faith alone. And whenever he says in verse 24 of chapter 2, you see, it's, it's, it's kind of this idea. I'm looking at my audience and I'm saying, okay, this has got to enlighten you because there's a context here where all of a sudden you see something that you didn't see before. And he says, you see that man is justified by works and not faith alone, which tells me, I think, that his audience is continually kind of stating this. Uh, maybe maybe they heard Paul or maybe Paul's uh, um, uh, letters are, are making it around or his teaching is making it around. And everybody's saying justification by faith alone, justification by faith alone. And, and this is this is already a calling card within the church, and and that that's interesting to me. I think. Furthermore, and this may come bear on our reading of this. Um, we were actually talking about this before we went on air, that James wrote this before Galatians or Romans had ever been written. Mm-hmm. James was most likely in the before opinion, any of the letters, right? Paul, right. Was the most likely a scholarly opinion is that James was the first letter, maybe most likely the first letter ever written. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't he wasn't sitting there with Romans in front of him like mm-hmm. you and I are right now. He didn't have Galatians in front of him. Now, he undoubtedly, I say that I don't have proof, but I think it's highly likely had knowledge of Paul's position. He had heard it. It had been obviously disseminated orally in the early church, but he didn't have Romans and Galatians in front of him and said, 
huh, I don't like this. I think I'm going to write something to, that, yeah. that counters this yeah. and contradicts it. Well, it, but it's evident that this teaching is going around. It's evident that it's being abused, which Paul seems to address is, address a little bit in his letters where uh, he doesn't want the liberty to go towards license and causing people to stumble and using our liberty well and, and using it profitably. And so Paul does seem to address it to some degree. So, Michael, you say this teaching. Let's identify it. And you read it a moment ago in verse 14. That's a good place to start. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Mm-hmm. That's the issue, is that people were saying, uh, oh, yes, I have faith in Christ. Um, I have trusted in him for salvation. And yet there is no evidence in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. There are no works of obedience. There's not a heart that longs to follow Christ in godly living. And James is saying, hold on just a minute. I'm not questioning uh, whether or not we're justified by faith alone. I'm questioning, is your faith the kind that justifies? Yeah. And I think he's saying, can that kind of faith, the faith that that never produces works, that doesn't flower forth in acts of obedience and holiness, that doesn't have a heart to, to follow Christ, is that saving faith? That's the issue that he's addressing here. So there is a type of faith. Am I safe in saying this, or does this mix everything up? There is a type of faith that doesn't save. I, I would think so. Uh, one of the uh, I actually preached this passage at City Rescue Mission here in Oklahoma City a couple months ago, uh, which is an, an excellent ministry to, to people who are who are homeless. And and when I was preaching this, though, what really struck me was that James was the biological uh, through Mary was the biological brother of Jesus. And so here you have a guy who's known for for this, known for the book of James, but he knew Jesus for decades, but he didn't really know Jesus. Mm. He could have told you, oh, yeah, Jesus. He knew Jesus way before Paul knew Jesus. But on the cross, James doesn't know who Jesus really is. Uh, we know that, that his brothers uh, did not believe in Jesus with a saving faith until after the resurrection. And so what I think is out of this world amazing is that the guy who is known for writing about what it means to really believe in Jesus, that, that your life can show that you could be convicted in court if it was illegal to follow Jesus, there'd be enough evidence to convict that it's the guy who for decades knew Jesus but didn't really know him. Hmm. Yeah, Michael, getting back to your question, uh, you say, is it possible to believe or to have a faith and not be saved? And the answer is yes. And I'll give you a, a very explicit reference in mm-hmm. John chapter 8. Uh, we read in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, mm. he said, if you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples and the truth will set you free. And so here are these Jews who Jesus himself says believed him. And yet Jesus says a few verses later, you've tried to kill me and you're actually accusing me of being demonized. Mm. So there is a kind of, and I put this in quote marks, faith or belief that is not saving. It's, a, it's an ascent of the mind. It's, um, you know, maybe the euphoric response to having witnessed a miracle. Mm. And there is a, an, a, and this kind of superficial commitment um, that people then trust in, but there's no transformation in how they live. There's no revolutionary uh, change in the, uh, uh, the acts of their life. They're still living in in willful, unrepentant rebellion. And when you say, 
hey, you know, uh, somebody who believes in Jesus shouldn't live like that. And their answer is, well, it doesn't matter. I, 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 I had that initial commitment of faith. That's all that counts. Uh, I'm eternally secure. I'm in heaven forever. Uh, my position is safe. And James is saying, no, 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 wait just a minute. I'm not questioning whether faith alone justifies. I'm questioning whether that kind of faith alone justifies. So let me, let me throw a phrase to you guys and see, get your response to this. It came out of the Reformation. I will, it, it, being translated into English, it goes like this. Faith alone justifies, but not the faith which is alone. Faith alone justifies. That's Paul's message, but not the faith which is alone. That's James's message. So they're not in disagreement with each other. They're, they're simply talking about two different kinds of faith, so-called. Paul's talking about genuine, heartfelt, whole-souled trust in Christ alone. James is talking about this, this kind of intellectual assent that never actually uh, lays hold of Christ and is never transformed in terms of practical daily obedience. Could I change that a little bit for people who aren't super familiar with the term justifies? Uh, could we say faith alone saves, but saving faith is not alone? I think that would work. Okay. Um, it would, I don't know if this is an apocryphal story or not, but I've, I've heard it many times. I think it's very true. But uh, it is said that Martin Luther, whenever he is talking about salvation by faith alone or justification by faith alone, which we got to pause and understand how divisive this is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do have all of Roman Catholicism, which basically takes James and and interprets Paul through the, this passage of James and therefore believes that salvation is faith plus things you do. And then all of Protestantism, or at least magisterial or kind of orthodox Protestantism, that doesn't believe that uh, works contribute. So it is an incredibly divisive issue. And whenever Martin Luther was was uh, 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 stating this and calling this out and preaching this, it is said that people come up to him and say, Martin Luther, don't you understand what you're doing when you say salvation is by faith alone without works? If you say that, then people are just going to go out and do whatever they please. And then Martin Luther's response was, that is true. But what pleases you? Yeah, and, and I think that's beautiful. Uh, I think for people processing that, I mean, it's that idea of like, you know, you could go to my, you could go to look at me and my wife and say, man, Tim, do you have the freedom to do whatever you want in, in your marriage? And if I'm like, yeah, yeah, really, you, you really have the freedom in your marriage to do whatever you want, to, to possibly cheat on your wife, to uh, hide things from your wife, to have multiple Facebook accounts. You have the potential to do whatever you want in your relationship with your wife. And I'm like, yes, I have that freedom. Uh, then, but then the second response would be, well, now what do you want to do? And I think a, a, in a proper, and, and that was the great, well, what do you want to do now? And hopefully in a proper relationship, it's like, I want to love my wife. I want to serve my wife. I, I want to be all in in my marriage with my wife because because of, of every, and, that, and marriage is such a small picture or a faulty picture of what Jesus has done for us. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, I think the person who properly understands what Jesus has done for them will properly be motivated to then live a life full out for Jesus. Okay, but here, here I want to, in the last minutes that we have, this could very well bring a great deal of anxiety to the hearts of people saying, how do I know if I have had enough works? How do I know I'm struggling in sin? I, I think I'm a believer in Jesus, but how do I, 
if James were to look at my life, would James say, no, you do not have the type of faith that saves? Now, let me get unplugged before you say something here, Sam. That is very difficult for me. Okay. I don't really know how to answer that, especially in a universal basis. And I understand the people who have problem with James because as I look at this, even though I believe James is inspired, this is true, but I look at this and I say, I don't know how to judge people's actions mm -hmm. and say that this is a proper amount or this is a proper depth of service to the Lord to justify your statements about your own justification or or to say you have true faith. So I guess the question may be is somebody comes up and says, how do I know whether I have true faith? And, or how do I look at other people and judge whether they have true faith like James? Yeah. Well, I would want to say first in response, Tim, to the question you asked, which is a very important one, I would say to that person, look, if you didn't truly trust Christ for salvation, you wouldn't ask the question in the first place. Yeah. It's the person who's truly been born again who is filled oftentimes with the anxiety mm -hmm. and, and that they look at their lives and they say, you know, I just don't, I don't sense that my life is where it should be. I'm convicted by my failure to obey. I'm convicted and broken and shattered by the fact that uh, I, I say when everybody asks me, oh, yes, I trust in Christ, but my life, my language, my, the way I treat my wife, the way I use my money, it doesn't seem to reflect the principles of God's word. That's a good sign mm. because if you were not born again, if you didn't experience justifying faith, you couldn't care less about those things. You would, in fact, say, hey, I trusted Christ, and now I'm going to go enjoy myself and indulge myself without regard to anything the word of God teaches me. So the mere fact that somebody would have concern to ask the question in the way you phrased it, I think is would provoke James to say, hey, you're not the person I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the person who says they have faith, but there is no evidence. There's no fruit. In fact, he, he cites Abraham you know, further down in this passage, and he cites Genesis 15, where Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. And then he says, but... Look what happens 30 years later in Abraham's life when God says, take Isaac up on the mount and sacrifice him. And Abraham's obedience, his willingness to give up his most precious possession, his son, is the evidence that the faith that he experienced 30 years before was genuine and saving. His works manifest, demonstrate, validate the reality of the faith that he professed. Hmm. So I think that it's... Uh, when we read this entire passage in its context, in fact, people read verse 24 of James 2. Michael, you started out with that. That that verse alone, you just kind of pull it out of its the text. That's a slap in the face. But when you look at it in its broader context and you realize that's the culmination of James' argument about Abraham, and then he goes on and talks about Rahab. You know, Rahab the prostitute was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way, verse 25. His point is, how do you know that when Rahab met the spies and said, oh, I believe in the God of Israel, you know, I'm trusting in him for my deliverance and redemption, how do we know that that was legitimate? Because then her, she risked her very life and the life of her family in order to protect the, the Jews who had come into Jericho. So the whole point is summarized at the end of chapter 2, verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And my encouragement to people would be let your works just go. You know, like 
no, work, well, can I get work you, your life. Can I get you to also encourage the people? Because I'm, I'm, I've got a bit of anxiety here yeah. to say in the last 20 seconds. Yeah, so, yeah. To say, how do I apply this in my family and to my friends as I am looking at them and I'm wondering whether they have true faith? I, I think what I would encourage people, I, when the tornado hit more, I remember going down there and having people who had driven across the country being there. And when I asked people, why are you here? They would say, you know what? I want to show my family. I want to show people that one person can make a difference. And I want to. I don't want to be the person that's always on the couch watching it on the news. I want to be a person that's in the mix. And I think I think one of the best ways you can encourage people is to yourself be in the mix. Yourself not saying like, man, I bet you somebody's going to go and do that for Jesus. But instead, just to live a free life for Jesus, to to model that to your family, model that to your friends, and that will allow us to sharpen each other in our pursuit for Christ. And I think one final word here briefly, Michael, I appreciate the, the concern for the anxiety that this whole thing might cause in people's hearts. We would collectively say anxiety can be overcome first and foremost by looking to the cross. When you look at the cross, do you see one dying in your place? And is that your sole exclusive hope for eternal life and forgiveness? And if it is, there will awaken within you a desire to obey, a desire to walk in purity, a desire to walk in wholeness. You won't do it perfectly. You'll fail. You'll fall. But you'll be broken by your failure. And that is the indication, I think James would say, that the faith you profess is a genuine, justifying, saving faith. Before we go, I want to pause and talk to our audience directly. Uh, we love sitting here talking theology. It's so much fun. We uh, not only enjoy doing this because we know that you're listening, but we would probably sit around and do this anyway. And we are, are so thrilled that over the years, so many people have loved Theology Unplugged and joined with us as flies on the wall into our discussions. But we cannot do this without your help. Uh, we are a ministry that relies upon the donations of people just like you in order to exist, in order to air on the radio or to air through the podcast. And so I call upon you in the end of this year where we get the majority of our support to consider donating to us, consider partnering with us, consider being one of those who hold us up as a ministry so that we can continue on and, and teach theology, to, to teach people to love the Lord with all of their heart, with all of their soul, and with all of their mind. You can do that by going to our website, credohouse.org and then clicking on Donate. And I thank you so much for listening to us and, and believing in what we do. We hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast. If it's blessed you, they'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to join the group again next week for another edition of Theology Unplugged. Theology Unplugged is a listener-supported ministry of the Credo House. They're a theological hub and coffee shop and their address is 109 Northwest 142nd Street in Edmond, Oklahoma, 73013. They're open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., and Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Please consider this your official invitation. You're invited to come and visit the Credo House and discuss today's program or take a tour of the theologically rich surroundings. You might also enjoy one of their signature drinks like a Luther latte or a Nicene mocha. In fact, if it's your first time in the Credo House and you mentioned that you heard their program on Bot Radio Network, you can have the drink of your choice for free. 
For more information or to support this ministry, visit credohouse.org.